We're going to be in Matthew 15, if you've got Bibles or a Bible app or anything like that. Um, I know you're used to going to Matthew, right? Been in Matthew for a little bit, which is kind of fun, so I'm excited for that. Hey, I just want to say I'm thankful for you guys and thankful for Hope Church, and uh, I've known Rob for uh, several years now and uh, just been blessed to get to know him. It's been fun to meet Derek through this. Um, but I'm uh, just grateful for you guys, and um, we're kind of over on the other side of, uh, some people call it Somerville. I know it's not technically Somerville and Cane Bay. Who knows what Cane Bay is going to become, but um, we're thankful for your gospel presence over on this side of Somerville, and thankful for everything that God is doing through you, and uh, I know that you guys have led the way uh, in our city in a lot of cool ways, like the grocery giveaways and things like that. I'm just thankful for the work that you do in the community and expressing the hope of Jesus, and thanks for giving your pastor a sabbatical. Um, I got a sabbatical last summer, and it was a great gift to me, Um, and so I just want to tell you guys, thank you for doing that for him. It's going to reap a lot of benefits for your church and the kingdom, so I appreciate that a lot. Um, So when I was in high school, uh, I grew up in Mississippi in the deep south. Anybody from, no, nobody's from Mississippi except for me here. Everybody here is from way far away from Mississippi, Um, but uh, I grew up in Mississippi, and I, um, in Mississippi, when I was growing up, we had this thing at church called Sunday School, Anybody ever go to Sunday school? Yeah, yeah, so a few of you. Um, so I had a Sunday school teacher, and his name was Michael when I was in high school. And Michael was probably in his early 30s, and uh, was a great guy, really enjoyed being in a Sunday school class. Um, and one day, Michael went with our church on a mission trip to Russia. And uh, I remember the Sunday that Michael came back, and we're sitting in Sunday school that day, and we're asking him, hey, tell us about the trip. How was it? Um, Michael said, I'm moving to Russia. And we were like, what? Like, you're just going to move to Russia? And he did. He packed up his whole family. They, um, he jumped on with, with a mission agency. They sold their house, sold everything that he had, they had, gave up his career, um, everything. It's like total life change. And they moved over to Moscow Um, And then eventually ended up in a city way out in Siberia um, called Chita, um, which was, I think it stands for City of Exile. And so it's literally the place where Russia, like, got rid of all of the people that they thought were going to be dangerous to their whole agenda. Um, They sent them out there. Um, And so Chita is the city of, like, over one million people. And I asked Michael one day, I was like, why in the world... Would you give up everything that you've built for this long in your life? Give all of it away and move, sacrifice everything and move to Russia. And, um, and he told me, he said, well, when I saw the need and I saw there that people needed Jesus desperately, I couldn't do anything but do that. I got the chance to take, when I was a student pastor, to take some students um, to Siberia, which is the craziest thing in the world that any parent would let me take their high schooler um, to Siberia. There's a lot of great stories there. But, um, but we went to see them and spend time with them and, and, uh, and work with them over a summer doing a summer camp. Um, but Michael took us up on this mountain outside of the city of Chita. We hiked up the mountain, got to the top. And then we're looking out over the city of over one million people, and he was like, hey, do you remember that time you asked me why I moved here? 
And I said, yeah. And he said, that's why. Because there's over one million people here that need Jesus. That's why I moved here. You see, Michael, God stirred something in his heart, stirred a compassion in his heart for the people who were there to meet Jesus, to know Jesus in a real way. And Michael and his family are off the mission field now. They've retired. Um, But just this past week, what I love is that I saw him post a picture from the top of that mountain of that city that he's been praying for uh, and serving. He served for years, but he's continuing to pray, and he was asking people, hey, to continue to pray for the people of Chita, that they could come to know Jesus in a real way. That's the kind of compassion that God desires us to have in our lives as we follow him. We look in Matthew 15, and what we see in Jesus is that kind of compassion. You've seen this throughout the stories of what Jesus is doing, but Jesus is kind of in a cycle right now of he'll do something miraculous, he'll heal somebody, he'll feed some people, and then he'll kind of get into it with the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. They'll kind of have a tussle about what's going on, and then Jesus will get back Um, to healing people. He'll get back to sharing with people about the kingdom of God. And so it's this cycle that's going on. But what I love about Matthew 15, specifically this passage, is that we get to see a little bit of the heart of Jesus, of why this is important to Jesus, why this matters to Jesus, why Jesus gave up his place in heaven in obedience to God and came to love, to serve, to heal, to make an impact. And I believe It's because Jesus had great compassion. And I think we're going to see this in the passage today. So we're going to start reading in verse 29, Matthew 15, verse 29. And I think the first thing that we're going to see about Jesus' compassion is that compassion heals. So verse 29 says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crown wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So Jesus has just kind of left. He left uh, healing the Canaanite woman, and he's going for a walk. And one of the things that Jesus does frequently is he kind of pulls away to go spend time with his father. And so Jesus is pulling away, and he goes on a walk, and he ends up on the top of a mountain. And it reminds me of my friend Michael like, looking out uh, over the, the million people that lived in the city of Tata. Jesus is up on this mountain, probably taking time with the Father, reflecting on the mission um, that God has given him and what God has put in his lap. And he's thinking about this thing. And, and all of a sudden, in verse 30, the crowds figure out where Jesus is, and they follow Jesus up um, to this place, and they bring with them Um, What scripture says is the lame, the blind, the the crippled, and the mute, they bring these people of of great need, and they bring them to Jesus and lay them in front of Jesus. And Jesus has great compassion on them, and he heals them. He doesn't heal them for some kind of like, look at me, look what I can do. But Jesus heals them because he has compassion on them. And the people notice and they see what Jesus has done, and the result is that they glorify God and that they spend time celebrating and glorifying God who is in heaven. Um, When I was, right when I graduated high school, um, I went just probably about 15 miles down the road to a school um, called Mississippi College, and I um, graduated in high school in 1997, 
And um, so October of that year, I was sitting in chapel one day, and I found out as I was sitting in chapel that day that there had been a school shooting at my high school that I had graduated from back in May. And then a kid named Luke Woodham walked into Pearl High School in Pearl, Mississippi, and um, shot and killed two people and injured seven um, people in the high school that day. And I was sitting in chapel, and I was trying to comprehend that and process through that as someone who had just graduated from there. Um, but really, the heavier thing on my heart was knowing that I was still working with the student ministry that I graduated out of, and I was volunteering and leading worship there, and it was Wednesday. And so I knew that that Wednesday night, I was going to be driving back to Pearl, going to my church, and I was going to be sitting in a room with students who were in that school when that shooting happened that morning. And this overwhelming feeling came over me. Like, what do I even do in a situation like this? Like, what do I tell these students? What, how, how do I minister to them? How do I comfort them? Like, I didn't know what to do in a moment like that. And I remember walking in that room that night, and, and there was just this heaviness in the air. And, and honestly, I don't think anybody really knew how to handle that or what to do, but we were all just wrestling with this. And I remember sitting with students and listening to them just process what they had been through um, that day, the things that they had experienced, the, the gunshots that they heard, and um, how this is echoing the friends that they lost, and, and they're processing through this, and they're crying, and we're all crying together, and I, I, all I could think to do was just sit there, because I didn't know what to do. And we face a, a crisis in our culture today when it comes to, to people who are suffering and going through hard things because a lot of us are in that case where we struggle to know how do we respond? What do we even do? And our culture tells us like appropriate ways to do that. And we see that happening in social media where, where now it's like so easy for us when someone's suffering, we just say something nice to them on Facebook and it's like we've done our job. Like we've done everything that there is to do. Or we let them know that we're praying for them or we're thinking about them. And we don't, we don't often go beyond that. It's just this kind of superficial thing that, that we do. But I don't think that that's the kind of compassion that Jesus had when he looked out on the crowds and he saw people who were suffering. I think that Jesus's compassion was a completely different kind of compassion. And I think that Jesus is calling us to be a people who are willing to go deeper to be a people who are willing to, to walk through hard circumstances with people and be with them as they go through suffering. And, and I think that there's a couple of ways that we can live out the kind of compassion that Jesus lives out. While we can't ourselves do miracles, like, or at least it doesn't happen very often, I don't know about you, but I haven't been able to do that. But I think there are ways that we can live out Jesus' compassion. And, and one is this, I think we can be present. I think we can be people who are present. That's all that I knew to do that night as I walked back into my student ministry and I was hanging out with these students who were, a lot of them, my friends who had just been through a horrific tragedy. All I knew to do was to be present with them. It reminds me a little bit of what we see in the story of Job. And if you remember Job, Job was a guy who had everything, probably more than anybody else in his day. Um, he was wealthy. He had everything that you could possibly imagine. But Job went through some immense suffering. 
And Satan took him through um, several circumstances which just caused him to lose almost everything. And one day he lost all of his possessions, all of his servants. Um, he lost a lot of his family. He, he had an illness, great illness himself. And literally it got to the point where all that Job had left was a pile of ashes that he was sitting on and a wife that was telling him to curse God and die. And the guy went from having everything to having that. But the other thing that he did have was he had a group of friends who were willing to come and be present. And Job's friends get a lot of flack, and, and rightfully so. But I love what Scripture says happens when they come and they find Job. That Job's friends sit with him for seven days and they don't even say anything. They're just present. They're with him. Can you imagine having anybody in your life that had that kind of love and care and compassion for you that when you're going through something really hard, that they come and spend seven days, put their life on hold just to come and be present with you in that moment? I don't think any of us have those kinds of relationships. But Job had friends like that. Now, then they goofed it up when they started talking, right? But they got it right for so long. And I think that's such an important thing. Do any of us have that built inside of us where we're willing to go that far and willing to sacrifice that much to be compassionate with the people that God's called us to in our lives? God models this kind of compassion for us. We see in Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's nothing that we could walk through, no experience that we could, we could be going through that God wouldn't be present and helping. That God is always there with us, no matter what we're persevering through, no matter what we're pushing through. He is our refuge, and He is our model for what it looks like to be a people who are present when people in our lives are struggling, suffering, and in need of compassion. And I know we have people in our lives who are doing this, who are struggling in so many different ways. And maybe, um, maybe it, it could be as simple as your spouse who has a hard day at work. And maybe you had kind of a hard day too, and so it's hard for you to come and be present for them. But, but sometimes the best thing that we can do is set everything aside and just be present for the person that we love the most when they're going through something hard. A friend that's going through a struggling marriage or a divorce or someone who's lost someone in their family or someone who is experiencing some crazy kind of illness. It's, it's time for us to be a people who push past the cliches that our culture gives into and thinks are enough in this world of just saying something. Just saying something is enough. But God's calling us to be a people who are present, who are there, to real relationships that matter. So we got to be present, but number two, we also have to speak, and we have to speak good news. We can't stop at just being present. And this is where Job's friends kind of messed up, right? They did start speaking, but they didn't speak the right things. But we are a people who have been lost and hopeless and broken on our own, and at the right time, when we were still sinners, 
Christ came and died for us. He found us in our brokenness, and our hopelessness, and he stepped in to our suffering. And he's modeling for us what it means to do that. And that, So that when we see people who are struggling and suffering, we know the good news. We know the solution. We know the thing that's going to give them hope, the thing that's going to allow them to persevere through whatever they are going through because we know the gospel. And if we're not speaking the gospel of Jesus into suffering, then we remove the power of the gospel. Because the power of the gospel is there for people who are broken. For people who have reached the end of their rope and need to be saved. That's what good news is for. And God's called us to be people who are speaking it into the lives of people that need to hear it. Ephesians 2, 12-13 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We know the hope of Jesus. We've experienced it. Jesus has been good news for us. And he's good news for our neighbor. He's good news for our family member. He's good news for our coworker. He's good news for the people that God has placed in our path and in our lives. You are not where you are on accident. Just like God called my friend Michael to move to the other side of the world to be present among a people that needed to hear the gospel, you are where you are for a reason. You're at the job you're at for a reason. You live in the neighborhood that you live in for a reason. You're part of the church community that you're in for a reason so that you can be a living picture of the gospel of Jesus. You can exhibit what it means to have experienced and lived in good news and in hope. And you get to do that for others. They get to see it in you. But to do it, you've got to know. You've got to know the hope of Jesus. Know how to speak it. Know how to say it. Don't miss those opportunities. So compassion heals. It's what the compassion of Jesus did, and it's what the kind of compassion Jesus wants us to have can do. But compassion also multiplies. Let's look at verse 32. It says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, didn't we just hear a sermon on Jesus feeding, like, a lot of people? And you probably did. Um, But this is a different situation. This is a different town. Jesus is in a different place. What you know about that story in in chapter 14, just one chapter back, is that Jesus fed 5,000 men, and here he's feeding 4,000 men. Um, Back in 14, there were five loaves and two fish. Here there are seven loaves and a few small fish. 
Then there were 12 baskets of food that were left over. Here there are seven left over. And I don't don't know that all those details are really that important other than just to say this is a different story. It's a different town. The the crowd that Jesus was um, doing this miracle for before in chapter 14 was primarily a Jewish crowd. And here this is primarily a Gentile crowd that Jesus is doing this miracle for here. So why does Jesus do this thing twice? Like what's the goal What's the purpose? Well, it's simple. Jesus knew he could do it, and he realized these people have been with me for three days. Can you imagine that you were so captivated by someone that you set your life aside for three days and just went to sit and listen to them speak and teach and watch them heal and do all these miracles? These people had been with Jesus for three days. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, basically, I don't think it's actually safe for them to get up and go find food for themselves. We have a responsibility to feed them ourselves now. Jesus had compassion. And that's why he did this miracle, because he was moved by his compassion to action in this moment. So what does that teach us in this story? What does that tell us about compassion? I think the thing that we see here is that compassion multiplies. We see it in a couple of ways. Like one... Literally, the food is multiplying, right? Jesus starts with seven loaves and a few small fish, and he multiplies it. It multiplies out to 4,000 men, and that's not counting the women and children. Probably altogether, we're looking at somewhere between 10, 12,000 people who are being fed, in this instance, from seven loaves and a few small fish. And so all these people are fed, And then there are seven baskets full of leftovers, like way more than what Jesus started out with is like left over after the miracle actually happens. And so there's there's this real multiplication of food that's happening in this moment. Um, But I think that the multiplication is even more than just food here. And what I love seeing in this miracle is Jesus could easily do this himself and take all the credit for it. But what Jesus does is he uses his disciples in this moment. And Jesus asks his disciples to be part of it, where they are the ones who are literally the hands and feet of this. As Jesus is breaking this in pieces, they're the ones who are taking it and distributing it to the people who are hungry. They're the ones who are getting to actually meet the needs and interact with the people who are there. Compassion is something that just naturally multiplies. And in fact, it works best when it's multiplying. Have you ever like been in a drive-through line where you get pull up, you order your thing, and then the lady tells you, "Hey, the car in front of you actually paid for your coffee or or whatever it may be." Has that ever happened to anybody? What do you do in that situation? It's okay for you to talk out loud. I pay for the person behind. Right, right. You you pay then for the person that's behind you, and that's because compassion multiplies, right? Because someone has done something compassionate for you, and then therefore you feel like the right thing for you to do is to turn around and be compassionate to someone else. It's a natural outcome of compassion. That when someone is compassionate to us, we're going to be compassionate to someone else. That's what Jesus' mission is all about. That there was someone in our life who loved us enough, cared for us enough, saw us in our brokenness and hopelessness, and they decided that we needed to hear about the good news of Jesus. Now, it could have been a pastor. 
could have been a Sunday school teacher. It could have been a parent. I don't know who it was in your life that first told you about how Jesus loved you. But it's someone that loved you enough to tell you good news. And they knew you needed it. And the right thing for us to do in that moment is if there was one person that shared that good news with us, that we now have so many opportunities every single day of our life to be someone who takes the compassion that was shown to us and we get to show it to others. That we heard good news from someone else and we get to go and share that good news with other people every single day of our life. That's what multiplying compassion looks like and that's what God's called us to But it's not just those people. Jesus himself had compassion on us. That while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He saw us in our brokenness. He knew that we needed hope. He knew that we needed good news. And he came and sacrificed himself so that we could have hope. So that we could have good news in the midst of our brokenness. And Jesus is calling us to be people who live out that kind of compassion with everything that we do. I told you earlier about the school shooting at my high school, but what I didn't tell you was that I knew Luke Woodham, the guy who did it. I, um, my junior year and senior year in high school was the president of the Bible club Um, at my school and Luke was a kid who came and stopped in several times um, to be part of that Bible club Luke was a kid that I saw walking down the hallways of my school often he was a kid that I saw sitting by himself at the lunch table during the week I was looking back a few years ago at my high school yearbook and the picture of Bible Club from my senior year. Sure enough, Luke Woodham is right there, front and center. I knew that Luke was a kid who needed someone to step into his life. He wrote a letter after he did what he did that was later found where he said this, he said, I killed because people like me are mistreated every day. I did this to show society push us and we will push back. I suffered all of my life. No one ever truly loved me. No one ever truly cared about me. Luke was a kid whose life was crying out for somebody to show him compassion. I've spent a lot of days and nights of my life asking the question, what if? What if I had shown Luke compassion? What if someone else in our Bible club that Luke walked in the back door of and sat in the back of the room decided he's a kid that needed to experience the good news of Jesus? I don't know what might have happened in Luke's life. But I know that for me, that question that sits in my heart is a question now that I feel when I see someone who's living and walking through brokenness. I don't want them to ever have to wrestle with or deal with what Luke had to deal with. I want them to know the good news and the hope of Jesus. 
and I have the opportunity to give that to them. Guys, we can't miss these opportunities. We have no idea what happens with missed opportunities. And I know God is sovereign and bigger than us, and He has a plan for all of these things. But we have so many opportunities day in and day out to be present, to show the compassion of Jesus, to tell people about the hope that we have. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We see Jesus doing this in Isaiah 53, 4-5. It says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. Jesus bore our griefs to the point of death, ultimate sacrifice to show compassion to us. He's calling us to be a people to do that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says, the burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. What does the burden of men mean to us? How far are we willing to go? How much are we willing to sacrifice to show the compassion of Jesus to the people who are in our lives? I don't know what you may be going through, what you may be struggling with. Maybe for you, it's that you have someone in your family that's going through some kind of illness, or you're having trouble at work, or maybe your marriage is is struggling, or you're dealing with infertility, or you've experienced just a, a great amount of loss in your life. I want you to know that Jesus is real, I want you to know the hope and the good news that he loves you, that he wants to bear your griefs. He wants to carry your sorrows. He wants to take those things upon himself. But I want you to know, too, that there are other people in this room who he's calling to bear those burdens with you, to walk with you, to sacrifice, to be present, to remind you of the hope and the good news of Jesus. Because having compassion for us costs Jesus his life. It's going to cost us something to live out his compassion among each other, among the people that God has called us to. And that's good. And it's okay. We are people who need to be willing to sacrifice more, walk with people through hardship, deal with difficult things. We're family. I know we're from different churches, but we're part of the same kingdom, part of the same big C church, part of the same family of God. And God's called us to do this thing of life together. That we have an opportunity when the rest of the world is showing what superficial love looks like, showing what relationships look like from a worldly standard, we have a chance to be the family of God with each other, bearing with each other, walking with each other through hardship, showing what the love and sacrifice of God looks like. I love in the book of Acts that people were so moved by the early church that says day after day people gave their lives to follow Jesus just by what they saw happening in the family of God, why are we not projecting a picture and an image of God's love like that to our world and our community that so desperately needs to know it? 
It's time we move past the superficial stuff and get to what's real with each other. Show compassion. Show compassion to our neighbors. Let people know that God loves them. Guys, let's be that picture of God's love to the world. We have an opportunity to do that. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Bonhoeffer says in his book, Cost of Discipleship, what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. We don't get to walk through this life lightly. We're called to hardship and difficulty, but we're called to it together for the sake of his glory, for the hope that we find in him, and the good news of the gospel. I love that tonight we get to be reminded of that through communion. Get to be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Let's be reminded of the fact that we do this together, and we do it together so that everybody who's outside of this room can see it and know that there's hope. There's hope, and it's only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. Let's be a people who live out Christ's compassion for the sake of his glory and his kingdom. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the hope, the hope that we find only in you. And Lord, I pray that as we have opportunity to express that to each other, to express that to our neighbors, our family members, the people that we work with, the people that we call friends, that we come in contact with, God, don't let us miss opportunities to show, to live out your compassion, to be an example and a model of what the love and the hope of Jesus really looks like. God, we pray that through us, people tonight, tomorrow, can experience the grace and forgiveness and the hope that only Jesus can offer them. God, give us courage to be present. Give us courage to speak good news. And Lord, we put the rest in your hands. We ask of the same grace and compassion that you showed to us, Lord, that you show to the people in our lives. And God, we pray that you get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.